Let's go to the movies. Welcome to episode seven. Today I'm going to talk about the trial of the Chicago Seven and Mank, both of which are on Netflix currently, and both of which were very obvious, like award season movies to me. So I'm excited to discuss these because these are two movies that I finally feel like I'm in award season. So we are going to jump right in with the trial of the Chicago Seven. So the trial of Chicago Seven is a Netflix movie. It currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 90%. It was directed by Aaron Sorkin. And the plot is that it follows the 1969 trial of seven people who were charged on conspiracy as a result of the riots at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Uh, So it is a historical fiction piece. Aaron Sorkin, obviously well known for his writing, uh, he actually hasn't directed a whole lot. His only other really notable film he's directed is Molly's Game, which is something I didn't actually realize I did assume he had directed just a bit more than that. Uh, So this is kind of his second big movie directorial debut, I guess you could say. Uh, This movie does have a few nominations with the Globes currently. It's nominated for Best Drama, Best Supporting Actor for Sasha Baron Cohen, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Song. Now, the screenplay was originally written in 2007, it, written by Aaron Sorkin. It was intended initially for Steven Spielberg to direct and would feature a few unknown actors. Now, Spielberg was forced out after the writer's strike led to some budget concerns. And a decade later, Aaron Sorkin was announced as the director. So it kind of took just a lot of time to kind of get back off the ground with it. And it was eventually filmed in the fall of 2019. Now, it was originally scheduled for theaters. Um, The distribution rights ended up being sold to Netflix. And so then it still was released to a few theaters in September of 2020, but it ultimately landed on Netflix in October 2020. And that partly is just how Netflix does some of their bigger movies, is they always try to land it in the theater for a little bit to give it that chance at awards season. This movie would have benefited greatly from a theater. Uh, It was very captivating and engaging, and I think it would have been a really cool big screen experience. So, like, going into the movie, I definitely knew kind of the general plot and that it was a trial and, you know, historically accurate and all that. Uh, I was not very familiar with the story in general, though, like, from a historical perspective. I didn't really know the story at all like I didn't really know what the Chicago 7 was beyond just that general like these are the Chicago 7 and this story in the movie is very fast-paced and very engaging from the very beginning and they do a really cool thing that I like where they actually like show on the screen they they name every person so you kind of know who you should be focusing on and who they are and who they're affiliated with, kind of helps keep all the characters straight. Uh, The movie flashes back and forth between the trial and the actual events that are in question. So it kind of helps you see what happened, quote unquote, versus how it was being presented in court. 
And Aaron Sorkin really does, he does write courtroom scenes very, very well. Uh, it, it always draws me in. I know sometimes some of the legal stuff can get kind of dull and overwhelming, but I think he does a really good job of kind of focusing on what's important. The acting was great. The cast is great in general. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, who, as I mentioned, is nominated for a Globe, he was ex- excellent. You know he's really good with the accents and the different kind of character personalities. So he kind of played this like Boston hippie comedian kind of guy. And it was very, very, very well acted. Uh, Frank Langella's character, who he played the judge, was infuriating. And I think that speaks really highly to him because I'm also currently watching The Americans on Prime. And he is in that show. And he's not infuriating in that show. (laughs) So just having that really obvious stark contrast like right in my face was like, dang, like that's some good acting that like you're making my blood boil <laughs> versus this other show where I kind of enjoy seeing you. Um, and also Michael Keaton, he was fantastic. Just this kind of like screw you guys type of attitude, which I wasn't really expecting him to even be in the movie. I don't remember seeing a trailer with him or anything. So like that was really cool. There, in general, I thought were some very disturbing parallels from that scenario and that story to the current government and political situations that have been going on. Uh, For example, with the riots that happened in the Capitol and stuff like that, which is kind of interesting that it hit so close to home when this movie was filmed well before any of that even happened in reality. And I think that's all honestly kind of just sad that nothing's really changed and you can still see kind of the same problems from 1969 up until now, 2021, like the same type of tensions and the same type of government mishandling and just, it was just really like um, unfortunate really to see that and kind of made me sad, but the relevancy was really poignant and I appreciated that it kind of still held up in that way where you could really kind of connect with it. And it didn't feel very much like it was this past problem. It still felt like this could have been happening like right now. Uh, On that note, kind of tying into those sad emotions and, you know, just kind of like upset with the reality of government, the Bobby Seale plotline genuinely made my blood boil. And he was the leader of the Black Panther Party that was part of the trial. Um, And he was just treated so horribly by the court. I really can't remember the last time I felt that enraged and appalled by a portrayal of a character and the treatment of the character in a movie. Like, I started crying when he was being gagged in the courtroom. Like, it was just atrocious and just kind of tied back into that feeling that like nothing has really changed in our government and our treatment of people and it just kind of leaves you a little disheartened um but yeah like props to him too because he acted that character really well and he plays off of Frank Langella's character the judge and almost just makes it even worse because he's already so infuriated with the judge Um, but yeah, that was just a really hard plot point 
to watch, but I mean, it was a really powerful one too, because it spoke a lot to the courts and the legal system and race relations and just kind of all of that. Now, uh, in general, I did read some articles that were saying that there were some inaccuracies with the timeline of the events as they were portrayed in the film. Uh, An example of that is in the final scene when Eddie Redmayne's character is reading off the list of names of war veterans, kind of emphasizing the point that, like, that was why they started this in the first place. So, like, let's not get distracted here. And then I had just read that that happened at an earlier point in the trial by a totally different character. So it's just kind of interesting sometimes when you read that stuff. And obviously they had someone else do that for a dramatic effect, and then you kind of get onto the question of, do I interpret it differently, not having known the true person that read it, or does that not really make a difference? Because I still get the idea that they read the names out. And I do admit that I am that person initially that could be left thinking that that's how it all went down because some of those articles that I mentioned, they were talking about how it leaves viewers thinking that what they watched in this film is the actual historically accurate story. And I know that it's really easy to fall gullible to that and like think that what you saw in a movie is exactly how it happened. Uh, So in being kind of that person on the other side of it, I also do usually read a little bit more about stuff like this when I want to learn a little bit more and understand actually like how accurate was this, what actually happened, things of that nature. So I can understand like the fine the fine line between almost like people thinking it's the truth versus it encouraging people to like learn a little bit more and actually read up on some history. Um, but I do think that this movie just really holds up well. I think it'll it'll hold up as time goes by. It kind of reminded me of something like The Post, which was my first comparison, which was a Steven Spielberg project. So it kind of falls into why he probably would have signed on to it in the first place. Um, But I feel like it's just one of those films you could go back to and you could probably relate it to anything going on currently in the world. And I think that is really significant in those types of films, like the trial, government, like historically significant pieces. Uh, Just kind of like how does that hold up through time? And... This is clearly an awards film, just with the cast and the production and the talent and the story and everything that's behind it. So I definitely know that it's going to get a lot of attention with the Oscars. It's probably going to get nominated for screenwriting, probably guaranteed to be nominated for Best Picture, Best Directing. And it's it's well-deserved. Like It was a really good movie, and I was really glad that I watched it. I was kind of ashamed of myself for not having watched it sooner, but I am glad to have finally gotten it under my belt, and I definitely recommend it, especially if you like legal dramas or just those historical pieces. It's got a little bit of all that, and it's got some surprising humor, which makes it a little lighter at times, but yeah, I would definitely give that one a watch. As I mentioned, it is on Netflix, and we will cruise right along to our next Netflix movie, Mank. So Mank is also a Netflix film. 
It was directed by David Fincher and currently holds a Rotten Tomatoes score of 83%. It follows the story of Herman Mankiewicz as he is working to finish the script for Citizen Kane in the late 1930s. That's pretty much the general plot of this one here. It was a little hard for me to think of anything a little more in-depth than that. (laughs) And you'll kind of understand why as we go into this review a little bit more. Um... Uh, but David Fincher, he's a very notable director. And some of the more major works he's done in the past several years include Gone Girl, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Zodiac, Panic Room, Fight Club, and Seven. And I think I know individually that David Fincher does all these movies, but I kind of feel like I forgot collectively that he done, has done all of these films. So when I looked it up, I was like, oh yeah, that. And oh yeah, that. And oh yeah, Fight Club. Like, it was pretty cool to kind of be reminded of his body of work. And this movie currently is leading in nominations at the Golden Globes. It's nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Gary Oldman, Best Supporting Actress for Amanda Seyfried, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Original Score. This is another one that feels like just like an awards movie. Um, and this is another one that had a screenplay written several years ago. So the screenplay was written in the 90s by David Fincher's father, Jack Fincher. David Fincher was set to direct the movie in the late 90s with Kevin Spacey and Jodie Foster as the lead actors. It didn't happen. Um, and then Jack Fincher ended up dying in 2003. And the project eventually became relevant again. And began, um, and then David Fincher was announced to direct in 2019. Um, the project did not happen originally due to the insistence on shooting it in black and white, and just the, the production companies and studios thinking that that wouldn't be a very desirable medium to gain an audience at the time, versus now where it's almost like trendy to do black and white movies. So I thought that was really interesting because pretty much like the past three movies that I've talked about have been films that were written several years ago, if not several decades ago, and then finally kind of coming to the table and getting their chance to get made. And initially you might think it's because of the pandemic, like there's not really a lot going on, but all these movies were in production before the pandemic. So I think it's just really, I guess, coincidental, if anything. Uh, and it's just kind of interesting to me, like, what's kind of, what's going on there? If this happens to me another time with a film, I'm going to be like, something deliberate's going on here, because it just seems way too coincidental otherwise. Now, this movie did have a limited theatrical release in November 2020, and was officially on Netflix in December 2020. Again, just that Netflix business model of distributing their films briefly, Um, I was trying to read up on it, but it doesn't really appear it was ever intended for a wide theatrical release. Uh, So I guess it kind of falls more into that realm of Marriage Story and The Irishman, where it was literally produced by Netflix and intended for Netflix, versus some of the other ones that ended up just landing on Netflix once they really couldn't be released because of the pandemic. Which I do find interesting, though, because this movie would have thrived on a theater screen just with the way it was filmed. And that was my first talking point because that was the first thing I really focused on, that this movie was completely shot and stylized 
in honor of movies that were filmed in the 1930s, which I thought was really unique and really different. <clears throat> Excuse me. It had a very similar shot set up and camera angles. Like, example, it's lingering on the back of someone's head when they were speaking to someone else. Um, and just kind of the way it was lit, the way it was acted, the way the music played into it all. It felt like some of the transatlantic accent was kind of in some of how these actors were speaking, which I thought was really cool because obviously that does not happen anymore. Um, I had read that some of the scenes were even shot in like a day for night lighting style, which is where if it is a nighttime scene, they'll still shoot it in the daytime, but then they'll put like a filter over the camera lens to make it look dark. And they don't usually have to do that anymore because they can light a scene at night, but still make it look like it's nighttime. But back in the old Hollywood, they had to shoot it in the daytime because they didn't have sufficient ways to light it and film it in black and white and still get that desired effect. So I thought that was really cool. And something else that was interesting that I picked up on was they had the little cigarette burn in the corner, which is the indication that the reel needs to be switched out at the theater. And I thought that was a really cool nod to actual film and especially the old films because that is how they had to shoot everything and how they had to edit it so that way the projection would work out correctly. So I thought it was kind of a cool nod to old film making, but also I was wondering if it was even a nod to just David Fincher and his style because in Fight Club, he points that out in the movie, like Tyler Durden points that out to people. And I feel like that might have been the first time a lot of people realized that that's what that was. So I'd like to think it's kind of a little throwback to that. But I did really enjoy it. And every time I saw it, I was like, oh, look, there's another one. Like, it was just kind of this cool throwback. But that was one aspect that I thought made more sense if this movie had been released in theaters. Because that's obviously something you would need at a theater. It makes no difference that that's there if you're just watching it on your TV. But I digress. Now, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did the music for this movie, which I typically don't really care for them as like a standalone composer. But I did realize that they are actually a common team up for David Fincher's films. So it kind of makes sense that they worked with him. And something else that was really interesting that I learned was that they only used period authentic instruments. And that is super interesting to me just because with the amount of instruments available and technology available, they could easily have recreated any of those sounds, but they instead chose to like honor the true process and do just the genuine instruments that they would have used in like the thirties. And the stylization of the music immediately drew me back to old Hollywood movies, like kind of that swelling sound that you get when the movie starts while the credits are on the screen. Um, so I thought this was actually a really well done score. Um, speaking more on kind of the stylization and the shots, towards the end of the movie, I got some vibes of Citizen Kane, which is what this movie is kind of about, is like writing Citizen Kane. So I didn't know if it was intentional, if I was just kind of reading into it a little too much. But I noticed that they were shooting upward angles on Orson Welles' character a lot, which was a common angle that they used in Citizen Kane um, and so I didn't know if that was supposed to be like a nod to that or just kind of reiterating that Orson Welles was just this presence, like this bigger than life 
person during that era. But I did think that was really distinctive. Um, so yeah, overall, I felt like this movie was a movie made for movie people who have knowledge of old Hollywood. I'm really not sure how it translates to an unbeknownst audience or someone that doesn't really study film or have any film history knowledge. I enjoyed watching this from a film perspective more than I enjoyed it from a narrative perspective. Like I was kind of mesmerized by just the way it was shot, but I feel like I don't really care if I saw it again based on the narrative. And I kind of feel torn with movies like that because I don't really know if that means I liked it or if it means I just appreciated it. So I'm still honestly kind of torn on my final decision on (laughs) did I like it or not. Now the acting, of course, was solid. So Gary Oldman is always great. And you'll catch a, spoiler alert here, you're going to catch a fun little appearance by Bill Nye as the Democratic candidate Sinclair which kind of hit us. We were like, wait, is that Bill Nye? So that, that was kind of cool. Kind of random. Don't really know how he got tied up into it, but kind of fun. And then another aspect I was kind of curious about, which I did a little reading into, was Ben Mankiewicz's reactions to the movie. So Ben Mankiewicz is one of the hosts on TCM, and he is the grandson of Herman Mankiewicz. And so I knew Ben Mankiewicz's name, and I know like know him to see him and stuff. So I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool." Like I'm really interested with that connection there. And what I learned is that he didn't even learn in his family. They didn't learn about the script for ten until ten or fifteen years ago, and they never thought it would get made because they were like, "Who's going to care about this? Like this is just kind of a really niche story. Like I don't think it's really ever going to be made into a movie." But it was, and. They seem to be fine with it. They enjoy it. They think it's a well-made film. And fun fact is I learned is that he actually has a little voiceover towards the end when Mank is winning the Oscar for his screenplay and they have the announcer saying that someone else is accepting on their behalf and that's him. So that's kind of a little fun way to tie in the family. Uh, And I read that they didn't really have anyone consult them on anything and they kind of are okay with that they didn't really want anyone to consult with them they wanted someone to just write a movie about how they viewed the situation and the story and they didn't want it to be turning into like an autobiography or anything and so I think that's kind of cool and I always like when stuff based on true people has like a good relationship with those people or the extended families so it was kind of just fun to learn about that and it's a little fun fact for you there Now, of course, um, I think all the nominations it's gotten so far with the Globes are very deserving. I'm sure it's going to likely lead in the Oscar nominations. It's definitely one of those movies that Hollywood usually eats up, like a movie about Hollywood or about old Hollywood. So you'll definitely see a lot from this. I'm I'm not going to be surprised if it ends up leading with Oscar nominations as well. So we will shortly be learning more about where the Oscars are taking us this year. Um, but yeah, if you like old Hollywood, if you like Citizen Kane, if you like David Fincher, definitely give this one a watch. If anything, just to see the way it was filmed, it's, uh, it's really well done and I definitely appreciate it for that. And I'm glad I was able to see it just for that reason. So that is Mank. On my next episode, I am going to just keep 
going through some of these Netflix movies and stuff that's on demand right now. So I'm probably going to do Ma Rainey on Netflix and Judas and the Black Messiah on HBO Max because that one just came out today. So stay tuned. All that coming at you soon. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode and join me as we go to the movies.